Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Parent Q Live. Kristen Ivey, Carlos Whitaker, hanging out with you guys. Do you like the way I said my name very... I did. This is like part two and part one, you were very... Yes. Carlos. I was very Carlos. Part two, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit more Carl. <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit more like a Carl today. Um, now, it is part two, which means there were, there was an earlier part. So um, this is a continuation of a conversation with who? Chinway Williams, our, one of our favorite counselors Yes, um, that we love to have some conversations with, partly because when I listen to Chinway, I just have to tell you, I just always lean in. You do. And, and you, I, you physically do. I physically do because I just kind of hang on every word and I just want to spill my whole story to you her. Too. There's something about listening to... Um, her voice mm. and her wisdom specifically. We wanted to have her back for a part two to talk about talking to kids about crisis, yes. about tragedy, about some deep, heavy subjects because they are so aware of the world around them yeah. and yet we don't always know how to package that conversation in their terms. No, and we don't. And I think it's essential for parents to do that. You yeah. know, to, I mean, they're, they're kids, you know, even... Um, even if you if you have a more mature child in your home who you think oh well they deal pretty good with crisis mm-hmm. they deal uh, no I, we we still need to step in there as parents and and really wrap this up for them um, so yeah we we are stepping into those specific questions and conversations about crisis but we last week if you missed it I would love for you guys to go back and listen to the first part of the conversation can you just give us just a just a 10 second snippet as to what you guys talked about on the last episode. Last week's interview was all about how to identify when your kid is in yeah. crisis because it's so easy as parents, right? To just miss it. Yeah. Um, to either be freaking out, wondering, you know, is what they're going through right now just a bad mood or a bad yeah. day or is this more serious? Yeah. Or for us to just miss the opportunity to tune in and be aware of what's so going good. on in their world. So last week's episode was all about how to know if your kid is really experiencing a crisis situation mm-hmm. personally. And today we're talking all about how to respond, Specific. how to talk to them, yeah. um, how to interact with them about some of those issues. Yeah. So as we get into this conversation, it's going to get so practical. It's going to get really tangible. If you're listening on a commute and now you like try to write things down oh, as you're really, driving, yeah. don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. We're going to put all of this in the show notes. Yes. All you need to do is go to the show notes. Yep. You'll be able to get all of that already typed up for you. So it's absolutely true, Kristen. We are going to have and get very specific this week. Um, and so specific that we're actually going to give you guys some guides. If you guys head over to our show notes page at theparentq.org, we've got some crisis conversation guides. I mean, if you've got a kindergartner, if you've got a fifth grader, if you've got a middle schooler, a high schooler, these are written specifically to guide your conversations um, in the area that you're parenting. So where, however old your kids are. So you guys can head over there and these are going to be specific examples that we're going to be talking about right now. Not we, but Kristen and Chinway as we step into the conversation. Here we go. Chinway, welcome back. It's so good to have you here. Hey, Kristen. It's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. We are in a two-part series. We're in the second part of that series, yes. talking about crisis and how we deal with crisis in our own homes. But before we jump into today's topic, talking about how we talk to kids about crisis, I wanted you to kind of remind us again, what is a crisis? What does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So a crisis is any sort of significant event that causes a breakdown or causes a disruption in your everyday sort of normal routine. And the other second part to what makes a crisis is that um, it really has to do with how one reacts to the event. So not there's not one single event that's necessarily a crisis. It really is about the individual. Mm. And if they feel like they have enough uh, coping resources to be able to handle whatever it is is going on. So it's a lot more about what that individual identifies as a crisis more than what everybody looks in and decides or doesn't decide yes. based on events. Yes, absolutely. Um, for each individual, what um, events that occur is just going to vary for each individual. So I kind of think about, um, I was a high school counselor and there would be breakups that would happen probably every day. Mm-hmm. And um, two people would handle the breakup in very unique ways. Mm-hmm. So I may have a young girl who is distraught and she doesn't want to go back to class and she's with me for the entire hour (laughs) and we're trying to sort it out, you know, and then an hour later I have another young girl and she's like, you know what? I just need not to be in his class and (laughs) we're going to be just okay. Going off to college next year, not a problem. Can you help me with my transcript? (laughs) So it just really, really um, depends on the individual what constitutes a crisis. Now, You also have made a comment to me, I know before, about sometimes that it's so personal that an onlooker might not even know that an event has happened. So a breakup, you know, sometimes we look at that and we go, I know that there was a breakup. I know there was a move. I know there was, you know, some other big life event, but sometimes we don't even get to see it. Yeah, no, that's really true. So there are crisis situations that are obvious, such as natural disasters, right? If your family survives a hurricane, a tornado, um, economic downturn, or if your family member loses a job. So that's considered a crisis that's pretty obvious. Um, Or even like a move. But sometimes people just have personal crises Mm. that manifest themselves in similar ways where they're sad, they're withdrawn, um, they're not really able to cope, and it shifts them mentally and emotionally, and that also is considered a crisis, but probably is not going to be as easily observed. Now, in the last episode with you, we spent the whole conversation talking about how to know if your kid is in crisis. So if you missed that, Definitely go back and check that out. Mm-hmm. Chen Wei, you are full of such great wisdom and insight on how to identify when your kid is going through something mm-hmm. significant that you need to talk to them about. So this week, mm-hmm. we wanted to talk a little bit more about how we have a conversation with mm-hmm. our kids in crisis mm-hmm. and what we can do as parents. Yes. Um, so even beyond getting them maybe checked into counseling, which mm-hmm. was another you know mm-hmm. great conversation that we had last mm-hmm. week, but you are the first responder as a parent. Mm-hmm. You're on the front mm-hmm. lines. So you're going to have that conversation with them. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about kids who are really young. We're talking about birth Mm -hmm. through five years old. What do you do when you know that that kid is kind of exposed to something that could really shake their world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It always starts, as we mentioned last week, with knowing your child, knowing their sort of typical patterns of behavior, their mood, their temperament. And if you notice a sudden shift, that could indicate a crisis. And as we mentioned with um, preschoolers, zero to five, um, that can look like a 
thumb sucking or bedwetting mm. or some sort of regression or being overly clingy. Um, but it's really, really important to know what to do. First, the first thing is to recognize that there has been a shift and acknowledge it and then also be there for your child. And there are a lot of different ways in which a parent can do that. Mm. So in our climate right now today, Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that's kind of scary that's coming on the news that we're seeing. And, and, you know, just if you listen to the radio, if you turn on you know, whichever news channel you're listening yes. to, whatever you do, there's just a lot of stuff that could kind of draw out some intense emotions. Absolutely. What would you say to a parent about how to talk to their kids yeah. or young kids about this? Yeah, well, I would say know your child and have the conversation, but be aware of using language that's age appropriate Mm. and also be aware of your child's maturity level, right? Mm. You can have two 11 year olds and they could vary significantly (laughs) (laughs) in terms of what they're able to really tolerate on an emotional level. So with really young kids, you're right, Kristen, there's so much that's going on that's scary for parents. Mm. And I talk with a lot of parents. I am a parent and our knee jerk reaction is to shield hide and not talk about it because it's disturbing it's Mm. distressful it's upsetting it's uncomfortable but in some cases we have to talk about it um with really young children my recommendation would be to as much as possible shield them from anything that's coming um, from the news from the radio social media and just be aware that even if your three-year-old is in the background playing and sort of appearing not to be affected or paying attention to the news they actually might be Mm. and so when there's something like um a big tragedy nationally speaking or internationally speaking and the information is everywhere that probably is the time to kind of turn off the news um, if your child is around and just be very mindful of what's sort of incoming into their little world because their systems really can't handle it at that age right it's too hard it's too difficult maybe to be able to process what all this means but and we say all the time that kids are keen observers yes poor interpreters. One of the things that translates best is a person's emotional state. So that sense of anxiety, that Mm -hmm. sense of fear, worry, all of those things do translate really easily. And yet the explanations can be really challenging at a young age. Absolutely. Because they don't have the neurobiology. They're not cognitively developed enough Mm -hmm. as we, um, as adults are to Mm -hmm. be able to really make sense. And as you indicated, interpret the information that's incoming. So if you can't sit down and talk to a young child, specifically in the preschool years, and have a deep conversation about all of these Mm -hmm. things, but maybe shielding them completely is just Mm -hmm. not um, possible. You know, they are, for whatever reason, they're exposed to violence that's maybe in their neighborhood, maybe in their home, maybe there's just some things that um, influence their world and, and you can't shield them from it. But you were giving us some strategies a minute ago. You were talking about a few things that you can do with a young child Mm -hmm. just to help Mm -hmm. um, build a bridge Mm -hmm. and give them a sense of safety and security. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Preschoolers may not be the best at verbally expressing their thoughts and emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, So what really helps is to say, hey, let's pull out some crayons. Let's pull out some markers and a pad and let's draw. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be very specific in your instruction. Make it very sort of free-flowing and have the child draw. And what we know through research is that children really think symbolically. And so mm-hmm. that drawing activity can be very um, uh, therapeutic in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Play-Doh works mm-hmm. as well, just manipulating something. Um, can be helpful in getting some of your feelings out without having to talk. Play just in general is is the first language of children. Mm. And so you want to get them outside, running, hanging out with their friends, having fun with you as the parent. All of those things are wonderful ways for them to sort of express their emotions, release some endorphins, and sort of um, feel a little bit more grounded, especially when the world is in turmoil. That's great. So trying to make sure that they still have um, something that makes them feel safe mm-hmm. and comforted and just drawing them back to that even yes. when there's maybe some intensity going on in their world. In their world, absolutely. So let's talk about elementary school for a minute. Yeah. Um, kids get a little bit older, a, a <laughs> lot more verbal, <laughs> a lot more verbal, and yes. they're also more exposed. They are more exposed. So this is the age where um, if if they don't come to you first, (laughs) and they may, go to them. This is the age when you can initiate the conversation and just say, hey, what's, what's, what's up? What's, Mm. what's going on? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And you can even start by sharing your feelings and just be a model for it's okay to have these difficult conversations. Um, It's, my recommendation is always to kind of check in with them to see what it is that they already know because mm-hmm. at that age they have access to social media even if you aren't really um, exposing them at home they go to school they hear things um, yeah. they have access to computers at school this has been one of the the biggest surprises to me as a parent honestly yeah. I think because I was in the world of preschool where you do control things. <laughs> And then just the level of, I remember at my son's baseball game, mm-hmm. um, not my daughter tends to play with the other girls and she was off playing and then I look over, she's disappeared and I come to find out she's around the corner watching a YouTube video <laughs> with a middle schooler and yeah. it, it happened and you know, the blink of an eye for me and I thought, oh my goodness. And, and it was fine. It was nothing yeah. to worry about, mm-hmm. but the exposure level is just mm-hmm. higher mm-hmm. and I'm constantly surprised mm-hmm. by things that they'll say and I think... I didn't know you were even aware of that. I didn't know you even heard about that. Where did you hear this story? Um, So those are such great things to just tune in and be reminded that Yes. They are exposed to so much. Yeah, they're exposed to when, whenever they go to another friend's house, if they do a slumber party or a birthday party, um, you may not um, allow or there may be some things that you don't do in your household, but other parents, you know, it's totally fine and allowable. And so now your kids are exposed. And if it is something distressful at, at that age, um, just going back to like providing that sense of safety it's really important to kind of stick with routines. Mm. So if the individual or the, the child has um, chores, they've got to do the chores. Mm. You know, you want to make sure that the expectation remains the same, that we're going to continue to function as a family. Now you talk about asking questions mm-hmm. too. What are some of the questions mm-hmm. that you would say are important to ask in these elementary school years, especially if you feel like your kid may be going through a crisis? Yeah. So some of the questions that um, I think it'll be helpful to ask is feeling-oriented questions. And I always like to start with how 
am I doing just as a parent? Mm. Um, I check in with myself regularly. (laughs) And if there's something going on Mm. in the community or in my family or in the world that's upsetting to me, and I'm noticing that my kids are are picking up on it Mm. or they're just exposed to it, I want to check in with myself and kind of assess how I'm doing. And then I express that. It's like, Mm. uh, you know, um, mommy's feeling sad, like I'm, I'm kind of sad, or I'm worried, or I'm nervous. How are you doing? How mm. are you doing? And what questions do you have? And so that's the important piece is asking them what questions they have, and then remembering not to overwhelm them. Mm. Okay. Um, so we never want to underestimate their level of awareness kids in general even as young as like two and three we talk about that a lot they're picking up on cues they're picking up on anxiety Um, but we also don't want to overwhelm them with information that they're just not able to handle Mm. and what I've learned um, in my training is that kids will ask a question and parents will give like this long involved (laughs) answer and they're like no mom I just really wanted to know did the baby come from the hospital or from the stork? And it's yeah. just like, oh, okay. I didn't yeah. need to like sweat and turn red over that one because yeah. it's really basic. Um, so at that age, ask them questions. Um, tell them how you're feeling. Ask them if they have any questions and keep it in sort of bite-sized nuggets. <laughs> That's great. I love that you went to the, the sex conversation right in the middle of this talk. But it's a great analogy. I it's mean, I can think about it. <laughs> It's a great analogy because Mm -hmm. I I can think through some conversations I've had um, with my son specifically. He's the oldest in our family and so kind of the first one to go through um, a lot of these things. And it's, uh, I find that there has been a progression to some conversations that we talk. Mm -hmm. And if I keep my answer short, then maybe after one statement by me, he's ready to move on. And then the next time, he maybe wants two or three and then he's ready to move on. Yes. And then the next time, it's maybe like, okay, I already know all of that, but uh-huh. I've got another three things to ask. So the same, you're saying the same can be true yes. even about emotions or mm-hmm. about um, dealing with uh, tra- trauma, grief, yes. all of those conversations. Yes, difficult conversations. Absolutely. Just um, find out exactly what they're asking and answer that and then leave room for follow-up. I'm Mm -hmm. always here if you have any more questions. So what are best practices that you found to leave it on an open-ended question so that you know that a kid is telling you, okay, I'm ready to move on, or you've left it open enough that they know they can keep going? Yeah, well, I think um, if you can... Well, first of all, I find that parents who have like designated sort of times for family engagement this seems to like work out well and I want to make sure I'm answering your question where they'll have like Friday night it's Mm -hmm. sort of family night for two hours we're going to connect play a board game and we're going to sort of like check in to see how everyone's doing now if you have an older adolescent um, or older child that may not share right, as right, much. Right. We're still with elementary school kids right now. We're, <laughs> right. we're talking about kids that are going to tell you the answers. Right, right. So they yeah. kind of have, like when you have those structures and routines in place, kids kind of have the expectation that we're a family that talks and mm-hmm. has conversations about all sorts of things, even when things are sort of normal and routine. And so, yeah, when life 
events happen, if there's grief, mm -hmm. if there's separation, if there's some sort of distressful event, we can talk about those things too. Mm -hmm. And if you find that your child is sort of shutting down, you do want to kind of lead the conversation with, okay, buddy, um, just know that mom's here whenever you, whenever mm. you need me. Now, what if I'm a family that's going through a crisis or my kid's in crisis, but we don't have those routines already in place? Mm -hmm. And I'm listening to this going, man, yeah. I wish I had some family routines going <laughs> so that I would have moments to talk to my kid. Yeah. I mean, is it just, is it? too late to establish a routine once a crisis has happened? No, absolutely not. It's n it's never too late. It's never too late. And then the other thing, sometimes the best conversations happen when you least expect it, when you're just spending time with your kid. So your presence above all else is what your child needs. And by the way, at all ages, there's still research that comes out that 17 year olds are really, really influenced by their parents and mm. people seem surprised by that. Mm -hmm. But certainly in the elementary school um, developmental stage, they still enjoy being around their parents. And so doing things outside of the home, um, taking hikes, mm. walking the dog, working on the yard together, those are, um, I find, really, really great opportunities to just have a dialogue about life period and, um, and check in about difficult life events. So let's, you talked about 17 year olds. Let's talk about adolescence <laughs> yeah. for a little while. Yeah, that's the world um, I live in. I've lived in <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. And you were a high school counselor. I was. And you go back to those stories. You have a lot yeah. of adolescents <laughs> that you still meet with regularly yes. in your practice. So yes. when an adolescent is going through um, maybe a heightened mm -hmm. crisis mm -hmm. above and beyond just mm -hmm. being an adolescent yes. and trying to figure out who they are in this wide world. Yeah. Um, Specifically, I mean, we've had these these shootings in mm -hmm. schools mm -hmm. that are influencing and affecting a lot of our high schoolers that are looking around them and globally yes. now more than ever, our world seems smaller. Mm -hmm. So something that influences maybe a different state mm -hmm. still feels very close to home. Yes. Um, how do we talk to high schoolers about some of these things? Yeah, um, I think it's a, the first thing that comes to mind is that um, at that age, just to sort of give parents the heads up, high schoolers may not come to you. <laughs> they they so, may not. Some yeah, may. Yeah. <laughs> Most parents I know are pretty aware <laughs> of that, right? That, right? They, yeah. they may not come That's to you. That's why I laugh. Yeah. And they're, they're getting a lot of information from their friends. They're getting yeah. a lot of support from their friends. They're getting tons of information from social mm -hmm. media. And they may even think that they know it all, right? <laughs> and so if they're not coming to you, even though you know something's changed in their yeah. world, especially something like... Um, the mass shooting tragedy, uh, you want to go to them. Mm. You want to go to them and you just want to check in. You want to initiate the conversation. You want to be direct and you want to say, hey, this is going on. And again, this is how it's affecting me. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. And another tip that I like to offer parents is if you get the fine or I don't want to talk about it or just the grunt, mm -hmm. um, it actually is really helpful to ask your teen how their friends are handling things. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and what their friends are saying, mm. and that's almost like kind of like an entry point into, oh, okay, so that's kind of what they're saying, and your friend is feeling this and having this difficulty with their family. How are you processing all of that? Mm. And that usually is sort of like a way to kind of slide into um, a deeper conversation. Sure, that's not quite as direct or as mm -hmm. confrontational feeling. Yes, that's yes. very good. 
Yeah. So what else? What are the kinds of techniques that you feel like um, help you get to the heart of mm-hmm. maybe how an adolescent is doing emotionally? Yes. Yeah, so I always say you want to be encouraging without pressuring. Mm. Um, encouraging without pressuring. So you want to lead with, I'm really curious. Mm. I'm really curious. Um, and and kind of leave any sort of judgment aside. And as a parent, as a parent, we want the best for all of our children. As our kids are getting older, they're having so much more autonomy. As we've mentioned, they're being exposed to a lot of scary things and they're not always communicating. So we're not sure how they're processing it, right? And so sometimes the urge for parents is to um, push kind of mm-hmm. hard. And that just has the opposite effect of what they're really desiring. The adolescent is probably gonna shut down. So again, the open-ended, hey, checking in, and I'm here for you whenever you want to talk. Okay. It can be, can be helpful. Now, what would you say to a parent, and maybe an adolescent is going through a crisis that really mm-hmm. does scare them? Because mm-hmm. you talk about every parent wants the best for their kid. Yeah. There's situations that happen sometimes in this zone where mm-hmm. you really do feel like there's a lot on the line. Yeah. There's a lot at stake here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this technique, when you're talking about um, not pressuring mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. hard mm-hmm. and that threatening, mm-hmm. what advice do you have for mm-hmm. parents on walking that line when there's so much anxiety maybe just in you yeah. um, because it feels like they're, the stakes are high? Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, yeah, parenting is not, for the faint of heart and I'm sure someone that's like a book title mm-hmm. somewhere and I know I've seen it a hundred times and, and it's not like we're we're worried and so sometimes I find with the families that I work with as the kids are getting older there's sort of that pressure of have I given them everything that they need especially mm-hmm. closer to like senior year or, and definitely senior year because they're about to you know, go off to some sort of post-secondary option and parents are are feeling the anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, Just remember that you've done a lot of good work up until that point. And so try to ward off the anxiety and just focus on the relationship. Mm-hmm. Because the young, you know, the adolescent is going to pick up on the anxiety. And mm-hmm. again, it's going to probably give you the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and just share your feelings and just say, hey, like, I feel like there's so much more that um, I want to say to you. There's so much that I want to um, know about you. And I'm available. And then sometimes just leaving it at that, planning an activity for, you know, one parent and one child and then another activity for the family that could be helpful something else that's important to mention is that you know really starting in middle school the peer group is super duper important and so if there um there's a block between Mm -hmm. you and your child um definitely just solicit the support of um other parents and then your friends peer groups to um just be another support network for you and for Mm -hmm. your child when you talk about support networks, mm-hmm. sometimes with parents of teenagers, I have this suspicion, and Chinway, this may be, you know, totally mm-hmm. incorrect, mm-hmm. Um, but I watch a lot of parents who maybe they're trying to navigate crisis with a preschooler or an elementary schooler mm-hmm. reach out on social media for support from other parents, mm-hmm. and they'll bring their issue to the table mm-hmm. a lot of times mm-hmm. to say, you know, how do I navigate this with my kid? How do I talk about this with my child? Mm-hmm. Somewhere in those adolescent years, it seems as if parents are dealing with issues that maybe 
they don't know how to reach out for support about maybe they've discovered their adolescent is cutting. Mm -hmm. Maybe they've found out that their teen is extremely Mm -hmm. depressed. Maybe they Mm -hmm. know that something else is going on that is harder to share and find support about. So what advice would you give to a parent um, in that situation? Mm -hmm. And also uh, or an eating disorder would maybe be another example of how do you begin Mm-hmm. that conversation with a kid and also get the support you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And that is really, really difficult when you're having issues that sort of fall outside of what's sort of considered normal developmental challenges. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're too, as a parent, too um, embarrassed or maybe you just don't want that information to be out there so you don't reach out to other parents on your social networks or even neighbors. Um, and that's where I think it's important to just be able to connect with a professional. So you Mm. have that objectivity, you have someone that has expertise in a certain area, and someone that can kind of, um, with a little bit of professional distance, guide you Mm. in the right direction. And then also something that um, therapists, I think, do a really good job with is just normalizing things and just Mm. saying, you know, these things happen, it's really, really hard, you've done the best that you can do, and now, here are the next steps. This this is what needs to happen. And so the difference between that response versus maybe a family member or a close friend is that it, there's not a lot of judgment and there's That's not good. a lot of um, opinion. Right. <laughs> sure, sure. And so, yeah, so professionals such as pediatricians could be a good first start. Um, even just a consult saying, hey, this is what I'm seeing. What are you thinking? Because pediatricians are like the first line of defense mm. in terms of a lot of mental health issues that occur mm in children because parents don't know where else to go. Mm. And then, of course, I always think that the church is just an amazing place for um, parents to to get information, and they may not um, be equipped, Mm. but they could certainly provide resources and just like a next step scenario. Sure, an additional leader. Sometimes it takes an objective third party to navigate that conversation, somebody who maybe doesn't have quite as much on the line yes. to help begin those com- those difficult, difficult talks yes. um, with a teenager. I recently heard somebody make a statement that I just thought was so insightful mm-hmm. um, when they said that sometimes when these type situations get disclosed, mm-hmm. then in that moment, the parent becomes a victim. Yeah. And yeah. two victims have a hard time relating yeah. to each other and carrying each other. Yes. So it does, in a sense, take that third party yes. coming into the mix to yes. say, okay, here, even if you knew all the best techniques, yes. even if you were a licensed professional yes. counselor yourself, you still kind of in that moment yes. need yes. someone else oh, along one, with you. Oh, 100%. 100% in the, in, in, the, in the trenches, really. And so... Um, no, I, I agree with you. Chinwei, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Your wisdom, your insight, as always, is so helpful. Um, and I know one other thing I wanted to have you mention before we wrap today is that this podcast is only just the beginning, that there are excellent resources mm-hmm. out there available for every parent who is trying to figure out how to have a conversation with their kid. Mm-hmm. What are some places parents can go, should go mm-hmm. to find great information about this yeah absolutely the internet is a great place (laughs) and so I just want to provide a couple of um, three resources that I think are excellent excellent resources for parents who want to have conversations with their children about all sorts of difficult topics and what I love about these resources is that they break it down in terms of 
this is what you say, and this is what you should avoid saying. Um, so it's really user-friendly. So the first one is the National Child Traumatic Stress Network, and they have a guide for parents to talk to their kids about um, school tragedies, um, different school events. And the second resource is the National Association for School Psychologists. Um, they offer tips for talking to children about violence. Um, and then also for kids who may need to find someone to talk to, um, the Mayerson Center for Safe and Healthy Children can actually help parents find therapists it's and programs. Mayerson Center, mm-hmm. spell that one. It's M-A-Y-E-R-S-O-N, Mayerson Center for Safe and Healthy Children. Um, so the site has a lot of resources also, but they can help parents find therapists, which is, is it's sometimes not an easy thing to do. Great. And we're going to put all those links in the show notes, but yeah. I just want to make sure everyone, um, anyone who is scrambling to write it down um, is able to get those um, written down. It'll be in the show, in the link as well. But thank you for this conversation as yeah. always. Yeah. Very practical, very helpful information. My pleasure. I'm so glad I was um, able to be here. Thank you, Kristen. So practical, such practical advice uh, from Chinway. Kristen? I mean, this is an episode for me that I want to come back to and play again and again, especially when something happens that I'm concerned about talking to my kid about. Yeah. Or um, if I'm navigating something as a family and all of a sudden I want to remind myself one more time Mm. about why I need to make sure I talk to my kids, how I'm going to talk to my kids. Um, And so I'm going to try to start this one, flag this one, mark it so that I can come back um, as I need to do that. So good. So good. I think there are, I know that there's ways that you can save this on iTunes or on Spotify. Really save this episode and also share this episode. Um, I love that this conversation really covers the gamut. It really covers the gamut of, of crisis. So, you know, whether you're in the middle of a crisis right now as a parent um, or you know somebody that is in the middle of a crisis with their, with their kids, um, this could be an episode that you share with them. Make sure you share this podcast. Guys, also, specifically, head over to theparentq.org slash episode 66. That's theparentq.org slash episode 66. And there is where we're going to give you guys these crisis conversation guides. So make sure you head over there, download those, share the episode. And if you wouldn't mind, head over to Spotify or iTunes, rate us, and that's it. That's it. We're going to continue into some more great conversations in the weeks ahead. Carlos Whitaker for Kristen saying we'll see you next time on Parent Q Live. Mm-hmm.